welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. everyone. My name is Roger Barker. I'm Director of Policy at the IOD, and I'm delighted to welcome you to this IOD Centre for Corporate Governance podcast. Once or twice a year, we seek to produce an interesting piece of thought leadership, which shines a light on the role of boards. And well, today is no exception because we have before us an intriguing new report, which argues that one of the big trends of recent years for directors is that boards have in some sense been losing control of their own organisations and indeed their own destiny, and that we really need to think carefully about the reasons for this and what, if anything, we should be doing about it. Well, before we get into all of this, I would like to introduce the author of the report, Chris Hodge. Chris Hodge is the Centre's Senior Advisor He's an experienced governance professional who's worked with organisations like the Chartered Governance Institute, the International Corporate Governance Network. He's done a lot of work uh, working in developing countries and helping them to develop and improve their corporate governance standards. And in a previous life, he was Director of Corporate Governance of the Financial Reporting Council here in the UK, where he was responsible for the UK Corporate Governance Code and Stewardship Code. So hello to you, Chris. Hello, Roger, and thank you very much for inviting me to join you. Oh, well, it's it's our pleasure. And I think that you asked some very interesting questions in this report, which will resonate with, with many directors and many IOD members, especially concerning the growing regulatory burden that boards must comply with, and also the whole range of external pressures they face from investors, the media, politicians, and so on. However, directors may not necessarily have conceptualised their predicament in terms of losing control. And I think that's what's interesting about this this report. Could you provide our listeners with an overview of what you were trying to say in this report? Yes, of course. And and I think it's probably fair to say that I'm not sure that we had conceptualised the issue in quite this way when we set off on this particular exercise. What the original intention, and this is, is still reflected in the report, was to try to identify some of the main challenges that boards are likely to be facing over the next five or 10 years. And to do so, we had a series of conversations with members of the Centre's advisory board, other contacts, people who we've worked with previously who have always got some interesting insights, uh, and also looked at some of the commentary in the media as well. And I should just take this opportunity to thank everybody who I spoke to for their their contributions. And what's, what's in the report is very much a collective effort um, uh, in terms of the insights that are there. And and we had a the, the conversation started off about individual challenges, but what I noticed as, as we spoke to more people was that there was a recurring question that was being raised in different ways. And, and it was this one that you highlighted, Roger, about whether boards were still fully in control of their company's long-term direction, their strategy, and, and so on, and all things that you traditionally think are the domain of the board to be taking decisions on. And we felt that this was an important question to be answered because not only should boards be thinking and policymakers and investors be thinking about uh, 
the impacts of individual challenges and how to address them, but also the, the cumulative effects of, of the way they go about doing so. And this report really wants to highlight that as an issue and get, and get perhaps more of a, a debate going on on that. There are different aspects to, to the perceived loss of control, and, and I think there are different views about the extent to which control has actually been lost or the boards actually just feel that they've lost it, even where perhaps a lot of the tools are still in their own hands. Um, but, but some of the people, for example, we spoke to felt that a lot of board actions recently have been driven by external events, uh, which is understandable given the, the climate of the last few years, starting with the pandemic, uh, energy crisis, supply chain issues and so on, and that many boards have now got themselves into a purely reactive mindset as a result. So it's good that they're reacting and responding to short-term challenges, but they've maybe forgotten to do the long-term strategic thinking that's that's necessary as well. Some commentators felt that a lot with a lot of the systemic issues, uh, particularly the sustainability and ESG issues such as climate, boards haven't really got to grips with these issues in a way that their stakeholders would expect. Um, and this may be because they don't appreciate the impact on on the company, it may be that they don't feel they have the skills or capacity to 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 reach a clear view and, and provide leadership on those issues, whatever it, it may be. But the, but these people felt that as a result, there was a sort of vacuum at the top of the company on those areas that was being filled by the agendas that regulators and and investors and others have. Um, and some people went further than than that, uh, and, and particularly in relation to listed and, and large companies, and felt that it wasn't so much. The boards had left a gap for the regulators and others to fill. It's more that, that the latter were guilty of micromanagement, of coming in and taking decisions or laying down instructions on, on matters that really were best left to the board, whether they be about the company's strategy or whether they be about the governance arrangements that are in place in the company. And this was constraining the ability of boards to lead their own their own company was, was a, a view that came to us, I say, quite a bit. Linked to, to that, there was also a strong feeling that governance uh, and, and ESG and sustainability more generally and, and how they relate to companies' operations and activities has, is, an issue, is a debate that's become increasingly politicised in a way that is unhelpful to boards. Um, it's not likely to change, but it's, it's something that needs to be recognised by boards and, and they need to figure out how to deal with it. So, so those were the main strands of, of this impression of a loss of control as i say it's difficult to say how much that is real or perceived and that's one of the things that we, we think needs more debate but i think it's certainly the case that the lines that are drawn around where decisions should be taken you know things that we traditionally think of as these are decisions for the board as opposed to decisions for policymakers and and others those lines are a lot fuzzier than they used to be and it would be helpful to everybody to have a discussion about how we can try and re-establish some clarity around those areas, even even if it means some of the lines moving, um, at least being clearer about where they where they are. Um, it's not something where there's a straightforward short number of recommendations. We make a few recommendations in the report, uh, but they're more in the nature of, of trying to get a debate going rather than a, an easy solution to some of these issues. Yes, well, that's it, it's interesting, Chris. I mean, I suppose there are two ways that you can view this this loss of control, if indeed that is what it is, um, either which are either charitable to boards or, or less charitable. I suppose 
um, what one side of the argument might say is that, look, boards, you, you've been losing touch with the expectations of society. Society has moved on. It has all sorts of new priorities, things that it wants business and the economy to, to address. But you haven't been addressing them. You've been pursuing your own merry way, focusing on your own private objectives. And all of this new regulation and stakeholder pressure is actually outside society saying to you, look, you, you've got to change course here. You've got, you've got to do something. Um, do you think there's any, any merit in that argument? Or is it just simply that actually boards and society are pretty well aligned, but society just doesn't know where the limits are between you know, where its own decision-making and influence starts and where it ends? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I think it goes right to the heart of what we're, we're, we're asking about in, in the report, Roger. I mean, uh, it, it's hard to generalise, obviously, given the, the range of companies and the range of behaviours that, that you see from companies and boards. But I think there is an element of both of, of that there. I mean, uh, we can all think of some recent examples of fairly major companies in the UK who appear to have taken the view that shareholder primacy is, is still the name of the game and have been taking actions uh, that are certainly perceived by other stakeholders as being in the interests of senior management and the and the shareholders rather than in giving sufficient weight to the impact on, on broader society. Uh, there are probably examples of companies that have are guilty of greenwashing or whatever you, you want to call it as well. Uh, so I think there is an element of that. But again, on the other side, there are many, many companies that clearly have got uh, those broader stakeholder issues at the front of the front and, and centre of their thinking, the sort of companies that are supporting the Better Business Act campaign that IOD is a big, big supporter of, for example. And, and in some cases, I think it's partly perhaps boards have not done a good enough job or companies not good enough of explaining what decisions they've taken, why, and what the you know what the longer term implications and reasons for that are. Um, but I think also one theme that came through. Um, again, particularly for those companies that are most regulated or most subject to investor pressure, so we're talking about sort of large private companies or or listed companies primarily, is that the the list of priorities of strategic and sustainability priorities that the board sees for their company are not always the same as the list of priorities being pushed by by shareholders, by regulators, in, in some cases by regulators through shareholders. Um, and so it's not that there is a, a lack of good intent or a lack of effort on the part of the board. It's just simply that their their agendas and the agendas of their stakeholders don't quite line up. If yes, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the Better Business Act. Um, and th I mean, that is, that's a, an interesting topic right at the heart of, of what directors do. Um, I mean, for those of our listeners that, that aren't aware of this campaign, it's a campaign to change Section 172 of the Companies Act 2006, um, which defines one of the key duties of any company director of any, any type of company. Um, and this section states that the, it's the duty of a director to promote the best interests of the company in the interests of its members, i.e. shareholders, having regards to various other factors like long-term success and other stakeholders and so on, but, but actually the, not prioritising these other stakeholder groups. Um, why do you think that changing this part of the Companies Act um, is potentially so important? I mean, uh, you could argue that 
At the moment, the current um, version of Section 172 isn't very well known. It doesn't really have much of an impact on behaviour. So why would changing it actually matter? I think the the argument is, as you say, is that the, the, the current um, legislation, which has very good intentions, has not really been effective. I think it, the way many companies have in, interpreted that is as long as we are we have an audit trail, if you like, that shows we have thought about the interests of other parties. At the end of the day, what matters is the interests of the members. And certainly there is a view that many companies and perhaps arguably many shareholders still take a relatively narrow short-term view of that. I think that's that's changing and there's been a lot of change on the investor way of thinking in recent years. Uh, but there are still a, a rump of companies that seem to take that view. And... Uh, the, the fewer people who support the change is that this makes it explicit or more explicit than it is at the moment that that, that is not sufficient, the so-called shareholder primacy. There is a need to take a more rounded view of that. And, and uh, the view that everyone we spoke to who, who supports that, uh, and certainly it's a case we've made in earlier reports from the centre, is that the only way to do that effectively is through legislative change. Yes. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why the IOD is supporting the campaign. So this will effectively say that the duty of every director is to promote the success of the company, not in interest of the members, but mm. to fulfil the purpose of the company, yeah. however that's, that might be defined. Yes, I mean, the, the exact wording would need to be refined, but that would be the intent of it, yes. I mean, I think there is a, there was a, a, a sort of word of caution from some of the people we spoke to, though, who said it needs to be understood that the purpose of this is so that boards have the ability to balance those different objectives against the longer term uh, success and purpose of the company. And that it's not an intention to strike out shareholder in the phrase shareholder primacy and insert stakeholder, because that just creates a different set of problems. And there is an argument that actually it might exacerbate some of the, the problems around the politicization of of governance and, and these issues that that we're seeing already. So I think there was, while I, as with the IOD, support the change, we shouldn't assume that it's a, a measure that single-handedly will, will simplify issues for directors and, and solve some of the issues. I think it brings with it its own its own challenges. But but at le- I suppose at least what it does, Chris, is it actually places into directors' hands the, the power and the role of defining where the company is going, rather than have that have... It, being defined for the directors in underlying law, it does. Uh, that's right, and I think that is one of the strengths. But you know, what we—if you are of the view, as some of the people we spoke to are—that um, policymakers, regulators, and, and to a degree investors are now micromanaging things. I'm not sure that changing the law to redefine the directors' duties is necessarily going to stop those parties continuing to interfere in matters that rightly are matters for the directors. So I, that was my, my word of caution, was yes. not that um, the change wouldn't be beneficial. I, I very much believe it would be. Uh, but it doesn't solve all of the problems that we've identified in the paper simply by changing the legislation. Yes. And one of the things you argue for in the report is that when it comes to regulation of, of directors' activities, principles are generally a better thing than mandatory regulation because principles, sort of soft law, like the UK Corporate Governance Code, mm-hmm. at least gives directors the discretion to take a view on things. You know, thing, things, 
a certain type of requirement may not be best suited to the particular circumstances of a particular company. And directors can therefore deviate from best practice or deviate from principles if they think that makes sense um, for the company. I mean, do you think that this point about preferring principles over mandatory regulation, that that, that should be applied on a widespread basis, really across a, a range of issues which affect companies and directors? My own view is is yes. I mean, I, there is a different way of phrasing the principle-based regulation, not one we, we use in the report, I must admit, but one that, that perhaps conveys the intent better than uh, for, for, for the sort of generalist, which is outcome-based regulation, where you say this is the these are the broad standards that we expect you to achieve. These are the outcomes we expect. It is down to you as a company to determine how you get there. Uh, and you would probably need to demonstrate that you've got there, uh, which, which would be entirely reasonable and, and ensure that you continue to be accountable. But we won't be overly prescriptive about the manner in which you, you had to do that. And I think that's the ideally the approach. However, past experience with that approach has had a mixed uh, mixed response, to be honest. I mean, what what you sometimes find, uh, certainly in my experience of dealing with companies with the Corporate Governance Code, which aims to work on that sort of basis, but also in other areas of regulation, is that there are those companies who will say, that's great, we have a clear idea of how to achieve those outcomes or how to meet those principles, and we will you know, leave it to us, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. And there are others who say, we just want the certainty of knowing exactly what it is we have to do, even if it's not necessarily the optimal outcome. And and you see that also with with things like the Corporate Governance Code. There are those companies who are willing to take advantage of the flexibility that the code and that approach offers them to say, we're not going to do it the way that it's written in the code. We're going to do this, and this is this is why we think it's better for us. And others who just say it's it's easier to go along with what's you know, regulators are asking and yeah. investors are asking. So there's a, um, in principle, principle-based regulation is better, but it doesn't, it, it does need the right mindset on the part of companies. And one of the things we do say in the report is that sometimes companies need to be willing to be a bit more assertive and put, if they believe that what they're doing is in the long-term interest of the companies, fitting with the purposes, but still accountable and meeting the broad intent of what, policymakers and, and investors are after, they should be more willing to stand up for, for what they're doing and explain why they believe it's the right approach rather than necessary, necessarily sort of kowtowing to whatever the latest um, expectation is that's, that's sent into them. Yes. Well, you know, what this report is all about is empowering de- directors, I suppose. It's, it's all about directors having a more active approach, um, you know, taking the first step and defining where they want to go rather than being passive agents, which are just Mm. uh, responding to events. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about how directors can achieve that better in their board meetings, in their daily board work. I mean, they are faced with all these external pressures and Mm. it's not entirely clear uh, what can be done about that. You know, that's just the reality of the, of the world that they're operating in. But in terms of their day-to-day board activity, are there ways in which boards can become more active and directors can, can, can actually uh, get back control? That's a, that's a very interesting question. It's, it, and I don't know the answer to that. I think it would be a really good sort of uh, scene to try to, to mine in terms of the follow-up discussion to this. 
I think I think to a lot of extent, to, to a large extent, apologies. Uh, it comes back to things that you and I always talk about when we're talking about effective governance. You know, having the right people in the board table who have the right attitude, mindset, skill set, and so on, who are um, not there purely primarily to sort of oversee compliance exercise of governance, but to actually provide proper proper effective leadership. So I think that that as always is is the starting point. I think. Um, I don't know, but I suspect that a lot of companies, when faced with new um, regulations, policy proposals, demands from investors, the way those are presented to the board for its discussion are as here are some immovable objects that we simply need to to accept. And it may be that there is that there might be scope for a more broader discussion at the board level, perhaps as part of a sort of strategy away day or whatever it might be that the board say to say to themselves, well, are we confident that the approach we're proposing to take is the right one? Can we defend that? Can we justify that? And if that is the case, how are we going to respond to the wave of expectations and demands that come in? What is our position? Is it to be primarily accepting or are we going to be out there and and be more challenging? I also think in, in related to that, and again, this is something we touched on the report, that often, you know, companies are doing good things on these areas, or at least um, they have plans in place to address some of these issues, but aren't always very good at at either conveying it or engaging with different stakeholders to try and move the agenda forward. And a lot of these systemic issues are ones that you you can't deal with in isolation, or not in any effective way. So again, we we suggest that there's more outreach from companies on on the issues where they feel they have something to contribute um, to policymakers, stakeholders, whoever it may be, to try and engage with them on these issues. And that will have the double benefit of hopefully a more effective outcome, but also demonstrating that they can be trusted um, to to take these issues seriously and address them as best as they see best fit. Yes, well, I, I suppose that just to, to add to your comments, Chris, I mean, I think, you know, as part of board performance reviews, uh, you know, the, the the review process could take a look at this, you know, how, how active are boards? Yeah. Um, one can kind of distinguish between conformance and performance type activities of a board, and in the latter would fall things like strategic discussion, um, and perhaps, you know, being very conscious of how much time and effort is being dedicated to, to that kind of activity can, can help boards to become mm. more active. Um, yes, I, I suppose... think that's a. Uh, well, sorry to interrupt. I think that's an interesting way of putting it. And, you, and you've just expressed more clearly what I was attempting to express before that, which is there's a tendency to think of a lot of a lot of the public policy debate and, and in the broadest sense as a compliance or conformance issue rather than a performance issue. Um, and and I think it does clearly affect the performance of, of the company clearly affects the ability of the board to perform effectively. So thinking of it in those terms rather than as a conformance or compliance issue, I think would be a good start for, for boards. Well, Chris, we're out of time. Thank you very much for this incredibly stimulating and thought-provoking report. I think people will have many different views about the nature of this problem and how it can be addressed. But um, I really, I I do hope that we've got directors thinking at least about 
whether or not they're still in control, because they are meant to be in control. Certainly that's how the law conceives of them as being the people legally responsible for any organisation. But are they really? That, that is the question. Uh, so thank you very much indeed, Chris. Well, thank you, Roger, for giving us the opportunity to, to uh, get these thoughts out there and hopefully start a debate. <laughs> hope that you have enjoyed this director's briefing podcast please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts you can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our linkedin and twitter profiles you can also contact us directly via policy unit at iod.com